right, folks. Hope the month of October was both steeped in campus tradition and if you are in certain parts of the country, beautiful fall foliage. We are into November, which means that we are on the backside of the semester. I know it can be a busy time, but you got this. Take some time. Make sure, especially as you're going into the Thanksgiving holiday, you give yourself some grace and that you give yourself some time to consider what you've accomplished so far this year and what you've got going on ahead of you. We do have another show coming up on November the 22nd, just before the Thanksgiving holiday. So we are loading up November with two very thoughtful shows. And today, our guest in this episode is a gentleman by the name of Dr. Gary Stalker. He has methods, formulas, and tools, and a passion for fiscal health, institutional fiscal health. And he has a website. It's called collegeviability.com. The information is going to be in the show notes. And it's getting noticed. It's getting noticed by people who are on the enrollment side, people who are on the college finance side, by administrators and also by potential parents. Gary is actually giving people, IRH professionals, the students, the parents, as I talked about, the tools they need to consider the fiscal health of institutions. He has strong feelings about the future of higher education, specifically around closures and mergers. And he's laying it all out there in his blog and his podcast. So I am very grateful to have him on this latest episode of my podcast, Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. So pull up your favorite iPads and balance sheets and tune in to this episode of Dr. Gary Stalker as our guest on Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. Gary, I always want to ask you this. When you go to a conference, it's or like to say it's a gathering of local college presidents and they see you walk in, do they buy you a drink or do they leave you at the bar alone? I don't know that we ever get to the drink stage. I think what has happened with the College Viability app is I have become both famous for parents, students, and faculty and staff because I give them information that they don't really have access to and infamous because Presidents are now acutely aware of not just the app, but all of the media that I do, like with folks like you. And I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of the fiduciary for these students, yeah. and families, and, and, and faculty and staff. And, par- and, ba- and parents need that kind of guidance. And leaders yeah. of colleges have their fiduciary responsibility. I'm trying to be that for the other folks. So I want to know a little bit more about the app and what kind of propelled you to make the app. Well, the, the Reader's Digest version of the College Viability app started at a small private college here in central Missouri. It's home of the Winston Churchill Museum, uh, Westminster College. And I was out there as the chief of staff about six or seven years ago. And when we first got out there, the new college president said, Gary, I think we have issues. And I, I want you to find some potential partners, some potential merger, consolidation partners. And, of course, you have to have financial information for that. And I went out there searching, and there was nothing. There's always been iPads, but if you're a newbie to iPads, yeah. you don't want to be a newbie yeah. for iPads because it just is very difficult to navigate. Yeah. And there was some guy scraping uh, financial statements off of websites, and it was garbage. When I got back to St. Louis, I realized there might be both an opportunity and a need to address that issue of finding out financial and outcome and enrollment information about colleges and 
more importantly, making it easy to use. And it took me a good two plus years to figure out how to develop the College Viability app. I taught myself iPads, Lord have mercy. I taught myself to use a visualization tool called uh, Power BI from Microsoft. And thus was born the College Viability app for leaders, for students and families, for faculty and staff, customized versions so they can have an, an easier way to say, hey, this college is healthier than this one, or this college is not doing so well. And what the app can't tell you is, is leadership, right? It can't. It can't really tell you. It yeah. tells us trends, and I make the case that there's two things you look for when looking at the financial health and viability, and the first one is patterns. It, uh, the data goes from the last eight reported years, and if your enrollment, Laura, has gone down eight years, if your graduation rate has been 35 or 40% after four years yeah. for eight years, if your endowment is $20 million or $25 million, don't tell me that you can fix it tomorrow. Because you can't. There's no reason to believe that. And I, I did my own podcast yesterday. I recorded it. And there was a college, and the name escapes me, who had raised, I think, $20 million over the history of their organization, of their college. And now they wanted to raise $6 million in three years. And my own podcast, I said, guys, come on. And that's the role yeah. I play. It's, it's kind of the guys come on role. Yeah. Where college yeah. presidents, God bless them, tough job. They're entitled to do whatever they want. But I make the case, Laura, that the market needs another voice to say, hey, guys, here's the rest of the story. The late Paul Harvey and his the rest of the story. I try and share the rest of the story because the market needs that. And I will continue to do that. I'm going to divert for a second. So my college education, I was a journalism major. And one summer I worked at my local AM FM radio station and um, the AM station ran Paul Harvey every day. And this was back in the mid eighties before digital, before all that stuff. And so when the Paul Harvey feed came up, you like it, there was all these alarm bells went off in, in the studio to go run into the record into the production studio, make sure you got the Paul Harvey loop, bring it, run it. And it looked like one of those old movies from the eighties, like where you saw like Marley Matlin, like running down the hall, like <laughs> the tape in her hand. And you're like, there it is, there it is, there it is. And we would, I hand it to him. And there was this one day it came in and it was not our fault. It was the previous day's same story. <laughs> And we all looked at each other as as we're playing it because we had to test it first because we always have to make sure it works, right? Yeah. And it was, and I'm like, this is yesterday's. They're like, how do you tell? I'm like, no, no, I remember. I remember this story. It was yesterday's. So they're like, well, we're screwed. We just have to play it. And so we did it. And and it was a lot of people of a certain age would listen to it. And they go, I love that story. <laughs> we actually got a call in at the radio station. Thank you so much. That was such a lovely story. It's so different from ones in the past. Like, yep. Thank you. All right. So it is good for those, for those of a certain age who don't remember who Paul Harvey is, Google it. The, I think that there's a, I appreciate your candor, Gary. And I also appreciate the fact that you come at this with a, a management lens because sometimes higher ed is kind of bogged down in the feeling and the, superiority lens. And that doesn't always mesh so well with the management lens. Can you talk to us about having tough conversations around 
viability with people who have asked you to kind of have that conversation and where has been the most pushback you've received? Is it, is it this kind of, my, my husband has a saying, the, the denial is not just a river in Egypt. So is it a denial thing? Is it a wishful thinking thing? It, where is it? What's it kind of come from? Because I think I want to bring in the ARPA money that campuses were getting because of the pandemic. And there was this kind of band-aid that campuses could use, but I didn't see a lot of adjustment. I, I, at least I did. When I was watching campuses, I'm like, they're not stopping hiring. I'm like on LinkedIn and people are still hiring people. People are still making programs happen. Oh, we're adding a nursing program. Really? You're going to add nursing? Nursing isn't going to be the, the, this wonder pill that's going to save your campus. And it's expensive. You can't just build a nursing program and and do it on the cheap. That's an expensive program. So I think like the ARPA money, I I felt like it absolutely was necessary. You wanted to make sure you weren't going to lay people off and all that kind of stuff. But there was an opportunity there for campuses to do some tough things. What are your thoughts on that? And and where did they lose steam? Well, I, I, I tend to step back and always look at the big picture. Now, that's a contra, yeah. contracting to what I do with the data because it's very detailed. And I, I make the case, and I think you and I talked about this before, that this is, goes way beyond a college's financial health, public or private, beyond their viability. And it really is, in my mind, a national security and a national economic issue. If these colleges who are financially stressed and Obviously so from the data that we can look at, but in delusional denial to, to, to follow up with the second part of your question, these folks are delusional. They think they can make it. We're, we are not educating too many students to the upper end of their ability because these mm-hmm. colleges don't have the financial resources to pay faculty to keep the grounds up to date, to bring in the technology needed. And if you read any college website, you think it is utopia on earth, but it's not because it's, it's because of the finances. And this is, I really believe, a national security and economic issue. You talk about a new program, nursing, and colleges will, will follow each other. And nursing, it's one thing for me to teach you nursing didactic stuff, blood pressures and lab results and radiology and physical therapy is a completely different thing for a, for a college to find a hospital that has the capacity yeah. to add new nursing students or new medical right. laboratory students or new pharmacy students. That's the challenging part. And they, they just don't have right. the perspective to realize this. And again, I've, I've shared many, many times, you can add any program that you want, any new major that you want, any new degree that you want, and all you're guaranteed is startup costs. Mm-hmm. Most of these college will, colleges will rarely see any materially significant new net revenue because you know why everybody else is doing the same thing. Right, right, right. I mean that if you roll back in the mid nineties, when a lot of formerly all women's colleges decided, yeah, we got to bring dudes in and we've got to, we've got to make our, we're, we're not one of the seven sister schools. We're not one of the, the high, the most highly, acclaimed women's colleges. So we've, we've got to make this work and they're going to bring in men. And in order to bring in men, you had to have three things, football, business, and criminal justice. And you can't, I mean, 
And that was always a big problem. It's like you, there was how many, how many business programs do we need? How many criminal justice programs do we need? And if you actually look at the nationwide shortage in, in the criminal justice field in terms of people actually going into it, it just kind of goes to show you that the institutions weren't pumping out people to go into the workforce. It was, it wasn't, it wasn't working that way. And to your point, whether you build a nursing program, these nurses need a place to go work and learn their craft and become part of the nursing community. If you're bringing out police officers, probation officers, they need a conduit to get out there and get into the community. And we just, we, we create these programs and it's a startup and they get in there and they have no, and there's not that end game. They don't get out. They don't like, they're not making a lot of money. They're not getting into the community in those spaces. It's just, it's, it's flawed strategy at so many levels. And I coined a term for that and it's called management by PR, management by public relations. Because with great fanfare, we announced this new stuff and we think that's the solution. But at the end of the day, yeah. there is no, again, materially significant net revenue that comes. It's not going to work. Just not going to work. No, no. You talk about national security. What? Give me more of your perspective on what, why this is a security issue. Well, take it all the way back to the first two world wars. I mean, in particular, World War II, this country was successful because of the brains developing all of the artillery uh, guidance systems and the, and the math to do that and the computers and all this, all the stuff that went with it. And that's why in large part, or significant part, the United States was successful. And as a nation, we need to stay on top of that. And don't get me wrong. We are creating lots and lots and lots and lots of really, really, really sharp people. Right. It begs the question, are we creating enough? And I worry that if we have colleges who can't provide your children or mine with the education they deserve and need, that at some mm -hmm. point it will become a national security issue. Because what if other countries, and I won't name any, can develop systems and processes and technologies we can't because we haven't as a nation provided the highest end across the board to enough, to enough students. Yep. Yep. Now I, I, I fear at, um, when I see what's happening in the K-12 system, combine that with the economic challenges that are being felt in higher education, yep. uh, it, to me, it is a recipe for a, a larger scale disaster than what people are admitting to. So when you've, you've lost an ability to say this, these, this is actually our history and we need to be comfortable with our history and we need to teach history that is not created in some kind of some some kind of conference room that is going to feed some other agenda that's a problem but also let's move it to other things like if our kids can't read and do math that's a whole other issue now if you've got this problem where people don't trust K12 people are pulling their kids out of K12 putting them into private homeschooling alternative environments and then what happens? Are they going to go on to, and I've had this conversation with you and others, is that not everybody needs to go to a four-year college, but you still have to trust in education to get you to a place where you're either going into the military, finding a trade, whatever the case may be, but that you need to have that baseline. 
And I think that your your opinion on where does this lead us down the road from a national security and economic viability standpoint is extraordinarily important. I know that people, because we are a country of quick fixes, we love a quick fix. We love a magic pill to make us smarter and thinner and better looking. We love all that kind of stuff. And when it comes to- I found the better looking pill. So if you can find the better looking pill and send it my way. Gary, 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 this is a podcast. We don't need to see our faces if we don't. That's true. But you're a very handsome man. Stop it. I'm not putting up with this. I'm not putting up with this. Anyway, the- we do like a quick fix. I think we saw we saw that in 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 my opinion in full scale, like during during the pandemic when people were just like coming up with all kinds of cockamamie ideas to kind of like get themselves back into shape and and all that kind of thing. Uh, but we see it all the time. And when it comes to the economic viability of a college campus, sometimes it makes it's difficult cha- decisions that have to happen to get you to a point of economic viability. I, I remember back, I'm going to, I'm not going to give the actual exact date. It was probably now, probably 20 years ago. And I think it was, I believe it was Champlain College up in uh, Burlington, Vermont announced that they were going to cut their, their varsity sports. And they said something that no one wanted to say out loud, which was, no one's coming to Champlain College to play college athletics and we're, we're not using, this is not something that is actually, uh, advancing our academic mission. It's not helping us with retention. It's people are coming to Burlington, Vermont, which is not, it's not Tampa, Florida. They come up there. They're not used to what they're getting into. It's a very specific type of environment. It's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. I'm a New Englander. I love Burlington, Vermont. But it didn't work. But what they did was they said, you know what? We can put better use of these funds into ways to promote wellness within our community. And they expanded mental health. They expanded ways that people wanted to get out and about. If you've ever been to Burlington, Vermont, it's it's hiking, it's skiing, it's snowshoeing, it's being outside. It's that kind of thing. And they made it part of the institutional culture in a more intentional way. and. When you look at this and and people are like, that's insane. You have to have athletics. And it's, I go back to this idea that not every campus has to look exactly the same. It doesn't have to. I call it the Simon Mallization of higher education. When you go to a Simon Mall, whether it be in St. Louis or in Boston, they're the same except for the food court. The food court changes a little bit and it's, it's really around the chicken place. Maybe you have Popeyes, maybe you have. KFC, maybe it's a local place, but it's always the chicken. The chicken is what gets it. And I like when I see a campus taking a a stance and saying, we're not going to pump money into a space that is simply not viable. Now, it could be athletics. It could be the business program. It could be something like that. But people are not taking these these, uh, moves that can be life-changing for the campus. Why do you think that is? Is it too hard? Do we not have the muscle memory for tough decisions? You, you probably heard the old adage that culture eats change for lunch. 
Yeah. And of course, in higher education, the culture is what it is. And to change that culture, whether it's football games on Saturday or final exams in December and May, that's what the culture is. And, and I, I it is what it is. I, I have no interest in, in even in advocating for one or the other. The culture is we have to have our little private college with 600 students because we've always had our little private college yes. with 600 students. And there will be more closures. The data says so. Yeah. There has to be. And then I'm empathetic to those who yeah. will lose their jobs. It has happened. It will continue to happen. Yep. And a friend of mine, John Nichols, wrote the book Requiem of a College, which describes in, in almost emotional detail the closure of St. Joseph's College in Rensselaer, Indiana, back in 2017. And the man says in the book, he cried many times. And mm-hmm. it was an example of a college that should have closed previously. It did close. Yep. And it's going to continue to happen even with the culture. And it's probably the culture, the the embedded culture in the concept and the model of higher education of colleges in the United States, that's going to be the cause of that. And I can even take that a step further in trends. I know one of the trends I know I see is, and I've shared this with you and others, is there will be more closures than there will be mergers. And here's why. It's already happening. It happened with Iowa Wesleyan and Cardinal Stritch in Wisconsin earlier this year, they saw that their last dollars were circling their financial drains and they started dialing for dollars with colleges in their region saying, save me, save me, save me, marry me, marry me, marry me. And these colleges said, no, you bring no substantial value to our organization. And so they had to close. And we will see that in the coming weeks and months. We'll see that in particular next spring. When colleges realize that they can't continue to do that, when the, when the pandemic money runs out, which it has for the most part already, that's one of the big trends that we're going to have is more closures than mergers until the culture changes. And I'm not going to change it. You're not going to change it. It's going to be no, some, no. some tipping point moment when the culture starts to change and colleges realize that you have to consolidate. And, and again, how many other industries? have had mergers and cut and consolidations over the decades. I, I can't think of one that hasn't. Right. Except higher ed. And higher eds are so few and far between as to not be anything significant in and of themselves. Yeah. When when people ask me, and this is when you close a college as I have, when you kind of walk in, I still get this response from people every so often. It's not as often, but I think you go into some place and they go, Oh, Laura was at Mount Ida when it closed. And they all went, Oh, like they all, they all want to, can I, Give you a big hug. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, and now I'm to the point, I'm like, I've had therapy. I'm okay. I mean, it's, and I, and I am, but I think that when people want to hear, but they always ask this question and I got pulled in and I'm not going to mention the school c- college and I'm not going to mention the president at the time, but when we turn this call off and the recording off, Gary, I'm going to tell you who it is and you're going to laugh. Okay. But this, a college president local to Boston asked me to come over for a conversation. I had been informed that their vice president for student affairs was leaving. They were retiring and they were going to need somebody for a year while they were doing a national search. So I said, all right, I'll sit down with them. And that's what I thought the conversation was going to be about. And literally Mount Ida had just, I mean, I, I hadn't even moved out of the house yet. Okay. In terms, cause I lived on campus 
I hadn't even moved out of the house yet. That's how soon after this conversation happened. And all this college president wanted to know was how exactly it closed. How did the circumstances arrive that got to this point? And I said to them, and I have never changed this. My, it, I, I call it the three-legged stool of college closure. Okay. Deferred maintenance. We had $40 million worth or so. It was deferred maintenance, which by the by, I blame the president at Mount Ida for a lot of this, but he didn't create the deferred maintenance. He inherited that. Okay. So you've got deferred maintenance discount rate. At the time, I think we were at like 62% discount rate, which is not sustainable. Okay. And leadership. And those three things, if you have those challenges on any campus, and I, and if you look at your, your app and you're looking at that, that's literally, you have it in a lot more detail, but those kind of thematic buckets are what are the issue. And it will happen time and time again. Right now, I mean, last week, like at least two campuses announced they were closing. It's literally a once a week gig. It's something happening all the time. Right now, what we're seeing is mostly these small Christian colleges right. that are closing up. And I think one of my concerns is that people are saying, oh, it's Christian schools right now. We're not a Christian school, so we'll be okay. Like, oh, we'll, we'll be able to come up with something. They're more limited than us. And it's that it only helps feed the denial is that the campuses you're actually seeing right now fall into a certain bucket it in more in in more prevalence like there's still some campuses that are not part of that that niche of institution but christian colleges tend to be the ones uh that we're seeing the most do you think that people that that's actually creating that's kind of lulling people into a state of deeper denial or do you think that there's actually people who are going to pay attention to that well there's very few that are going to pay attention and it goes back to that that delusional piece we are a college. Yeah. We've always been here. We will always be here. But I, right. the, 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 the picture is, this is, an, this is an economic case of supply and demand. There are yes. many college seats and not enough college butts to fill those seats. Yeah. You cannot yeah. defeat that with delusion. You can't, feel, no. can't defeat delusion with pharmaceuticals. The market well. will adjust. Yeah. Is it today? Yeah. Yeah. Is it tomorrow? Next week? Next month? Next year? I don't, I, I, I don't know. You don't know. I don't know. I, I can tell you that we've lost about one private college a month since 2016. Not quite. One college a month. Yeah. And the rate appears to be ticking up. When you and I talk in three or four years from now and do another podcast, we're going to look back and say it was in that 2022 to 2024, 25 era where the collapse took place. Yeah. Because there's yeah. that, you know, we, we, we read the book, The Tipping Point, and it's out there mm -hmm. somewhere. There's a yep. tipping point somewhere yep. when the public realizes and this is going to be bottom up driven when the public realizes making the decision to go to a small college, particularly small rural college is a dangerous proposition compared to going to state U or to a larger private or to a smaller urban. When that hits the proverbial fan, the market will adjust rapidly and we'll see closures driven from the bottom, not from the top. You talked about state institutions. So let's, let's shift a little bit there. We're seeing mid-size, I call it mid-size states. So it's not your, it's not your, your big 
uh, flagship. It's your your state tier. So I worked at Indiana University of Pennsylvania um, at a at a point in my career, and we're seeing right now the state of the Commonwealth. Excuse me, it's not the state. The Commonwealth of Pennsylvania has been going through a few years of this. How are we going to manage? Um, the state system of higher education. And, and Pennsylvania is in a wacky kind of scenario because you've got, um, for those who are not aware, you've got the Penn State uh, flagship, but then you have Penn State campuses, so these satellite campuses, and then you have the state system of higher education, which are IUP, Kutztown, Shippensburg, th- those, those institutions. And then you've got a bunch of privates. And it's it's a saturated state in terms of how many campuses are there. Amen. We saw that. Yeah. I, I mean, we we saw there's some closures that were announced as the privates earlier last spring with Cabrini and some other campuses closing and announcing closure and being kind of brought in. We've seen in Philadelphia a lot of really unique mergers, I think. I will say this, the thing I like about the Philadelphia mergers that have happened, people go, wow, that's a weird combination. I'm like, no, no, weird combinations actually are your better combinations. Yeah. The less crossover, the better. You're actually, <laughs> I like a weird combination that's when it comes point. to that's a merger. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that my concern with these mid kind of these, these state campuses, which by the by, more more reporting out there saying that people are looking at this saying you know what that is a better value they're they're seeing the value from the from the student enrollment strand standpoint they're like that's actually a better value than if i went to the flagship and i can still root for the flagship in football but i'm going to go here for for school and then we're seeing some of these states are that that tier of campus is doing tuition resets so so there's a lot going on. You've got tuition resets. You've got this thing about the saturated market. Let's keep an eye on Pennsylvania because there's just not enough kids that 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 18 to 22 year old traditional age college student is is not as plentiful anywhere. But Pennsylvania is is one of those states where it's getting hit. Those that idea of that mid tier. Do you see what are, is if you were to look at a crystal ball, Gary, do you think that there's going to be some states where some really tough decisions are going to be made, maybe in the model of, say, what Georgia did about, I guess that was about 10, 15 years ago, where they really consolidated the system and knocked the wind out of some people. But I think they actually got out in advance. What are your thoughts on that that state system reality right now? Yeah, I, I think it's the easiest say to, thing to say is that there will be few, if any, precious few, if any, public college closures. The political the political dynamics are just too strong. We have yeah. seen in Georgia and Wisconsin and Vermont and Pennsylvania efforts to to do some consolidation of public colleges, and God yeah. bless them, go get them. That's probably the right idea. Somebody's going to do it well. But here's the caution I would give to students and parents first and faculty later, is these publics, while they were rarely if ever closed, they're already announcing cutbacks in programs and majors. And so if you're a mom or dad and your child wants to major in marketing or whatever, and, you, and you're and you looking at state U or some regional version of that, ask your admissions rep to share with you the enrollment trends for that specific major. If they can't show you, move on. 
because yeah. they want to show you and they don't have the systems and processes in place to show you. Because the risk you run is not that the public college will close because it won't, but that they will, in an effort to stem the financial losses, cut low enrollment majors. And now all of a sudden your child who you love dearly can't be a marketing major. They have to be a sales rep major or, or an accounting mm-hmm. major or something like that. That's the concern I have. And that's why yeah. I, I encourage families to ask, what are the enrollment trends? Are they up or down? That's a really good point. I think that's that's even a good point for when you're looking at people in higher ed who are saying, what institutions do I want to be looking at in terms of employment or in terms of what I see in terms of my opportunities? Because we need to be paying attention to this. We need to be making sure that we're we're putting our eggs into a basket that is healthy. I think that idea of what's out there and what's viable and what's happening, I I like what some institutions are doing as industries may change or let's go back to the analogy about nursing. I know that there's been some states as nursing credentialing has changed. They said, we're going to offer out specialized programs. It's It's literally a shelf life program. It is a short shelf life program. You need to get an extra credential in order for you to be put into this type of nursing uh, position. This is going to be better for you financially. This is going to be better for the hospitals. But once we get everybody trained up and and with the right credential, this program is going to close out. This is not something that's going to be a forever program. And and that is something that some institutions just don't even want to think about. They're like, well, we put all this work into this. Are we going to actually keep this? Not, you're going to close the program. It's just that that element of the program. I remember when physical therapists used to be able to be a, become a physical therapist with a four-year degree. Then it was a master's degree. Now you have to have a doctorate. There was a period of time where people walking around with a master's degree in physical therapy had X amount of time to get that doctorate. And so they've got it or they don't practice anymore. You don't keep that program going. I don't think we're that nimble. I think one of the things that we challenge ourselves with in higher ed is we don't think about from a entrepreneurial standpoint, we need to be more entrepreneurial. We need to be able to say, what are our area of the state, of the region, of what's going on, we need to have a way to bring people in. You brought up Vermont. The Vermont system conversation is fascinating to me in that there has been not only some real missteps in terms of how some communication has happened and that sort of thing, but also you're seeing leadership changeovers. You can't keep anybody in charge up there to usher this thing through. Whereas Pennsylvania, at least, has got, you know, a core group of people who, good, bad, or indifferent, are going to make this thing, whatever the vision is going to be, they're going to they're going to make it happen. But Vermont can't hang on to people. And there are about 120 students of traditional age in Vermont right now. And I'm, I realize I'm exaggerating, but it's not that it's not by that much. And you they have to make some tough decisions. Some states, as far as tough decisions, are looking at a tuition reset. What are, Can we talk about that for a minute and what your thoughts are on that? Can I giggle when I talk about this? Yes, you can absolutely giggle. You could even, I mean, you can guffaw, you can giggle, you can this do whatever is, you want. This is, this is the epitome of management yeah. by public relations. I've done the math. I've written about this. I've posted about this. I've talked about this in almost every case. The new tuition rate 
50, 60% mm -hmm. lower, tends to be slightly higher than the higher rate, higher tuition rate, discounted a lot. And there was a college, and it's been happening so many times, <laughs> I've forgotten the name, where I do the math every time this comes out, and I'll post on this college, and I did on this one. It, I said, well, guys, they would be better off with a $50,000 tuition and a 60% tuition discount than they would be with a new yeah. $25,000 tuition rate. Right now, there's some there's some equity issues. I understand that, but keep in mind that you're not going to net any additional tuition revenue, even if this works perfectly. But all the ones right. I've done the math on, it's better for the students to have a high tuition, high discount rate. I've even had college presidents say, "You know what, Gary? Don't tell anybody this, but my my parents tell me they want they prefer the high higher tuition prestige." Higher discount rate because they mm -hmm. can boast to their friends, family, and relatives. My child got a $25,000 presidential scholarship. Yeah. And you and I and most informed higher education observers know that's a discount. The same, there's no real money behind that. It's the same kind of discount you and I get for clothes and cars and computers. I think I agree with you. I think it's, you're the, you're the financial analyst. So you've got the numbers in your brain and I, I trust your numbers. I think the one that I, I look at, it's Colby Sawyer up in New Hampshire. They did a tuition reset. And I think this is the first academic year with that. I think if I'm a small private like they are and they're in a tough, they're in a tough enrollment space in terms of attracting students, et cetera. And they're looking at across, across the state, what UNH is charging and what some of the other state institutions are charging in terms of the smaller state, the Plymouth states, the Keene state, et cetera. I think it would be a tough decision, though, in that kind of scenario, because they know who they pull from. They know where people come to enroll at Colby Sawyer. I feel like that's a tough conversation to have to say, you know what, if we know our cross applications are also cross -app applying to Plymouth, Keene, UNH, maybe what we need to do is get to this point. So we're doing a little bit more of the what's the number that people see on the front end because they're not getting these big discounts going to the other institutions. We know that. What do you think about that? Someone's in a weird nugget like that. I don't know that the weird nugget matters. I Let's take this to its okay. logical conclusion. And everybody knocks 50% off of their tuition. Yeah. Right? And now all of a sudden you've got all of these low tuition rates and students yeah. have a, a smorgasbord of low tuition rates to choose from. And what's going to happen from that? Colleges will start discounting right. the low tuition and we're going to be worse off than we were before. It's, yeah. it's, okay. is it inevitable? I don't I know, but it's certainly logical. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying, but I also, I, I want to pull attention to, to your point about prestige and what pe people, still want that bumper sticker. They want to be able to say, my kid, it goes to this place. And to your point, they've received a scholarship and look how fa fancy we are and how, how excited we are and all of that kind of thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. You and I would love that. No. Our children, I'm guessing you had the same thing. There's, that's absolutely fine. But there's yeah, a cost absolutely. to that. The cost is a college can't keep the dorms clean, can't keep the maintenance up, can't pay the salary yes. that the, the good faculty want. There are consequences for that. So God bless these students who get these $25,000 unfunded discounts. And that's one of the mm -hmm. things I track in the app. It's called Unfunded Institutional Grants. That's the iPad's name. Mm -hmm. It's discounts. God bless them. Yep. Go get them. 
but the the, yeah. uh, the other side of that story is not good, and that's the loss yeah. of for these colleges. Well, and that's the cost of doing business is the part that I think the institutions need to keep their eye on. To your point, when someone comes on campus, it needs to be clean. It needs to have the trash picked up. You need to have the lights on. You need to be able to run those laboratories. You have to, if you have a lazy river in your, in your campus recreation center, you got to make sure that you've got not only your lifeguards and all of that, but you also got to make sure the damn pump works and that the chlorine's right. No one's going to come out of that thing with some kind of disease. There's all kinds of things. We talk about this all the time. And like this, this piece, I was on one of the campuses where I've been recently, they're moving all of their dining rooms to hand. You, you just put your palm down and it knows who you are and they won't, they'll, they went from at their largest dining room, they had four or five people doing card card access swiping and all that. Now they've, they're down to one. And that is that it's a it's a campus I was doing a project at and I was like, well, this is bizarre. Like and when they, they brought me into the dining room to show me show it off and all that kind of thing. And I, I at some levels I'm looking at this going, oh, that's a that's a financial move. And they admitted Sure. That they had saved so much money during the pandemic on staffing the dining rooms because you had to have an app to do everything and access everything. And it, it was very limiting. Now they didn't want it to be limiting anymore because they want people in the space, yeah. but they wanted a way to control staffing. They wanted to put the money into the food preparation, not in the front of house. And I was like, yeah, but the tables are still dirty. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and it's it, it's that idea. You got to remember that people don't just do one thing. They do more than that and and that sort of thing. So it, I think as the campuses cut back on money, I think there's also that eye on the prize type of person saying sometimes the people are what drives retention and this and this actual connection students have to institutions. And it made me kind of sad seeing the hand, the hand thing. First of all, it freaked me out, but it made me sad too, because I remember the very nice people who used to take my, my card and swipe me in and say, Hey, Laura, how's your day going? And there's not going to be anybody asking anybody, how's your day going? Nope. And maybe I'm a sap, Gary, but I, that's the kind of thing that I think is actually part of what makes higher education nice. Yep. I agree. You know, I, it, it's just one of those things. So. In our last couple moments, I want you to give us an idea of, of the app. I know we've already talked a little bit about it, but why don't you give a final plug for the app and your website because it is absolutely fantastic. And for anybody who doesn't know how to look up iPads and look up the, the, the financial health of a campus, you, you provide a lot of great, you're, you're doing a public service, Gary. So give folks some thoughts and who's the target audience for the website? Well, I will do that, but I, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to throw out my final caution, and we haven't talked about this yet. And I, I want to make the point in the case that Laura, I think the die has already been cast for mm. dozens, if not scores or hundreds of colleges. Yeah. I, again, I see the data all the time. We'll talk about that in a second. The die has already been cast. I don't know that any new programs, any new enrollment issues are going to make a difference for many, many, too many colleges. And, and the college viability app 
is that that cumbersome iPads data. We use eight years worth of data. We make the case that it's the trend that matters, first of all. Yep. Is it going up and down for 30 different reports on the full executive version of the app? And then it's always a comparison. I will never say that Laura College is going to close. Ain't going to happen unless we're offline and you yep. are talking privately. Of course, I'll share yep. my list of yep. 230 with you anytime. But there's also versions for faculty and staff. I have significant empathy. I can envision, because I do it in the, in the college I teach at adjunct, as an adjunct, the faculty going in each day wondering, eh, when when will the hammer drop? Now, it's not at the place I'm at. I know that from the, from, from the financial data. But the John Nichols story at St. Joseph's, Joseph's College in Rensselaer, the hammer dropped. And so I've got a faculty and staff version of seven or eight of those reports. And I've got a student and family version of the College Viability app that is three or four reports. It's enrollment, graduation rates, and something else, admissions yield maybe, because those are the things that will let parents know. I'm looking at five colleges, which of yep. those are financially healthier than the others by comparison. Yeah. You say, Gary, can yep. you predict which colleges will close? Well, yeah, I can. I'm not going to tell you. But I can tell you which ones are at higher risk for closure. And I want to be able to have a product that folks can use to do that comparison. And when they look at colleges, their first look is not at majors and faculty and campus and sports and amenities. It's can they keep the lights on for the four years that my child or myself needs to go there? And in many cases, I make the case that the answer to that question is no. Absolutely. No, I. I, I, amen. Like I, my daughter's high school had a opening, uh, had one of those college fairs last week. And I was like, no one's talking to these kids about what's out there and what's viable and how to actually have these conversations, you know? Yeah. So, so let me be the fiduciary. Again, the fiduciary for those that aren't familiar with the term is the person who looks out for the best interests of others. College yeah. presidents and boards do that, and God bless them. That's what they're paid to do. That's what they're supposed to do. They don't do a particularly good job, but nonetheless, that's their responsibility. I'm trying to establish that mindset that I can, through the College Viability app, be that fiduciary to say, hey, here's really what you need to know about the college or colleges that you're looking at. Fantastic. That's that's really important. I, I appreciate you and your work. That's amazing. And how do they find your app? So college viability, one really long word, collegeviability.com. Right in the top, it says the college viability app, and you can access the three or four versions that you want, and they're priced accordingly. The full report for both public and privates, all 3,000, 4,000 in the country, is a lot higher priced than the version for the faculty and staff, which is a little bit higher priced than the one for students' families. And you can get access to all of those immediately. Get the app right away. I've got tutorials linked so you can use it. And later this year or early next year, I'm going to be doing some webinars where I actually bring up some cases and show folks how to use the app to compare colleges they may be considering. I'll probably anonymize the colleges, but I'll use the app to get the data. Fantastic. Gary, thank you so much for your time. Oh, and, it's uh, a pleasure. I'm going to thank you for being here. Have a good one. Talk soon. All right. That was great. And I find inspiration in thoughtful discussion, and I hope you do too. 
um, you know, the subject of college fiscal help may feel daunting, uh, but with the knowledge that we can have, and that includes learning from mergers and closures, we can actually make change happen uh, if we have the political will. And so I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Gary. Please be sure to check out Gary's blog and follow him on LinkedIn. He's a great follow on LinkedIn, um, super engaging. Um, his contact information is in the show notes. So thank you for being an Office Hours listener. Uh, in order to grow our community, please rate, review, and share the podcast with your network. I really appreciate it. And hey, don't forget the show notes. Uh, there you'll find more information on our guests and how to follow me on social media um, and become a subscriber to my newsletter. Uh, thank you to my wonderful producer, David Yaz. Office Hours is a production of Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts. Now get on out there and learn something. <laughs>